uh, called A Visit from St. Nicholas. Uh, I had John read that. That poem was originally written in 1823. And uh, when you read that poem, it's amazing how many of our Christmas traditions, our understanding of Santa Claus and St. Nicholas, our, our, our thoughts on Christmas, how, men, how much of that comes from this poem written in 1823. It's considered one of the best known, most repeated poems in, in history. And what we learn uh, is that the details of Christmas matter. Uh, just like the details of who Santa is and the reindeer and all of that come from a, a visit from St. Nicholas or the night before Christmas, the details matter. This is why when your mom called this year and said instead of the home-cooked meal that you've become accustomed to ever since you were a kid, that your family this year was eating out at Perkins, this is why you were like, What? No, we have, we have turkey and fresh-made bread and sweet potatoes with the little marshmallows on top. We don't go to Perkins. Right, this is why when your family decides that they're not going to look at Christmas lights this year, like they have every Christmas Eve that you can remember, and instead you're going to stay home and watch Sunday night football, there is a part of you that's really annoyed by that. Uh, this is why when you come home for Christmas and you've been thinking and dreaming about those peanut butter cookies with the Hershey's Kiss on top that are from heaven, your mom makes them every single year and you walk in the door and your mom says, I've been really busy, I haven't done any baking this year. You're honestly mad and a little bit hurt. Because you, you get it, but the details of Christmas matter. Open up your uh, Bibles to Luke chapter one. Uh, Luke understands this. Uh, he understands that the details matter, that we all have certain traditions and we all have certain activities and certain things that happen at Christmas time in a certain order and they are what makes Christmas, Christmas. And I think that it is in part uh, because Luke was a doctor, he was a physician, but a lot of the details of the Christmas story, a lot of the details from the Christmas story come from Luke. And we're gonna work through some of these details and in each, of these, uh, in each of these details that Luke shares with us, uh, we're going to learn an individual lesson. And then what I want to do is I want to kind of build toward the end of the sermon because I think there's an overarching lesson that we can learn about why the details of Christmas are so important. So in Luke 1, Luke, uh, in, in Luke 1 he includes for us the detail of Christmas in terms of how. We, we get the detail of how. Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God uh, will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How can this be? Mary asked the angel. And if you don't understand why she asked that question, talk to your parents about it on the way home from church. How can this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One will be born and will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was, uh, who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for, for the word of God will, will never fail. 
for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word come to me and be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. So you may have heard uh, the story of how uh, you came to be uh, maybe a hundred times. And for some of us, it's uh, something kind of simple, like your, your parents were in their 40s and they had kind of given up having children. And then, surprise, <laughs> you weren't an accident, you were a happy surprise, right? Uh, maybe that's your story or, or maybe your story is, different, is a little bit different than that. But, but here's the, the point, is that nobody has Jesus' story. Jesus' story is unique. The, the way that he came to be from a virgin mother and conceived by the Holy Spirit and overshadowed by the Most High, Jesus' story of how he came to be born is unique, and his uniqueness continues on to, into his earthly ministry. The miracles he performed, walking on water, turning water uh, into wine, feeding 5,000 people with just a few loaves, people marveled and were amazed. They were amazed at his teaching. Now, on more than one occasion, people say, we've never heard teaching like this before. But it wasn't just like the, 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 the things about life that Jesus taught. It was the things that Jesus said about himself. One of my favorite stories about this comes from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, uh, Mark, excuse me. And Mark tells the story of um, a guy that has been born paralyzed. And he's been paralyzed pretty much his whole life. And he has a couple of friends who are really, really great friends. And they hear that Jesus the healer is coming into town, into Capernaum. And so they put their friend on a mat and they take their friend to meet Jesus the healer. And when they arrive, they discover that a lot of other people had that exact same idea because the house where Jesus is teaching is overcrowded. They can't get in. But like I said, these are really good friends. So they climb up onto the roof with their friend on a mat they climb onto the roof of the house where Jesus is teaching. They dig a hole into the roof. If you can imagine Jesus teaching, all of a sudden plaster and stuff just starts falling down um, in, in the middle of his sermon. And they lower their friend down to Jesus. And Jesus looks and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And I picture the, the paralyzed guy saying, no, that's not why I'm here. I appreciate it. It's great. But I didn't come to have my sins forgiven. I don't know if you've noticed Jesus, but I can't walk. That, that, that is my primary concern, but Jesus understands that he has a deeper problem that needs to be addressed. And so he says, your sins are forgiven, and because Jesus wants him to know that he can have a relationship with God in this life and in the next, but that's a different sermon. Let me show you what happens next. It says, now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, side note, whenever you're around Jesus, never think to yourself. All right, that's just a freebie, all right? He knows what you're thinking, all right? Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God himself? And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? What Jesus is saying is that anybody can say your sins are forgiven. How will you know until you're standing before God that Jesus was able to do that? But if you see a paralyzed guy and you say, hey, get up, that's kind of verifiable, right, in the moment. Either he gets up or he doesn't get up. So he says, so, uh, so, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. I want you to know that I can do what I say I can do. So he said to the man, get up, take your mat, and go home. He, he, he chooses the verifiable. The man got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, We've never seen anything like this before. So when Jesus forgives this guy's sins, 
The teachers of law, they knew what a big claim this was. They, they knew that Jesus was claiming to be God in human flesh, and then he proves that, that it's true. You see, from the very beginning of his life, from his birth, from the birth announcement on, Jesus has been unique. He's been doing unique things. He's been making unique claims. He's been living a unique life. And here's what that means. And here's why I went out of my way to show you the uniqueness of Jesus. You have to figure out what you're going to do with Jesus. Jesus left no other option. The things that he said, the things that he claimed, the, the, the actions that he took, you, because of his uniqueness, you and I are forced to figure out what we're going to do with him. He forces us to decide. Do we believe he is who he said he is? Do we believe the things that he said he could do? Do we believe what he said and how he taught and how he lived? The famous author, C.S. Lewis, he said, really, what Jesus forces us is we have three options. And you have to decide which of these you believe, that Jesus is either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. And I wonder if Luke includes this story about the uniqueness of Jesus' birth and the uniqueness of Jesus' life to almost force us to consider who he is. Because when you hear the story of Jesus' birth, when you hear the stories of his teaching, when you hear the story of his resurrection, one thing is certain. You and I have to figure out who he is and what we believe about him. He forces us to decide. So in Luke, we get the how, how Jesus came to be born. In Luke, we get the where. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire uh, Roman world, and everyone went to their own hometown to register. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married with him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And I suspect that anyone that's ever given birth feels like that's an understatement. The time came for the baby to be born. <laughs> I don't think that's probably ever how the, it is time for the baby to be born. It's like, get me to the hospital, right? That, but she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in manger because there was no guest room available for them at the inn. So Luke includes for us the place. It's Bethlehem. And this is significant, Luke says, because first of all, it's the house and the line of David, one of the greatest kings in Israel's history. And it was believed that the king of kings, one even greater than David, the king of kings and the lord of lords would be born in his town. That he would come from the house and the line of David. But it's, another, it's significant for another reason too. Do you know the word Bethlehem, how it's translated and what it means? It means house of bread. You know how Jesus described himself one time? He described himself as bread. Now, I know you're going to find this hard to believe because of my physique, but I love bread. I do. And Christmas for me, it is in large part a lot about bread. When I was growing up, we had a Christmas Eve tradition that every single morning, uh, on Christmas Eve morning, excuse me, we would get up and we would hand make bread. Now, we didn't have a bread machine like a lot of you have, right? This was in the olden days, right? We kneaded the bread by hand on Christmas Eve morning. It was child labor. It, my, my parents violated a variety of laws, right? We'd knead we'd need the dough. We did it the old-fashioned way. We baked the bread, um, and then we'd walk like five miles to church. No, I'm just kidding. Up, uphill both ways. Um, now, we'd go to church for Christmas Eve, and we'd take the bread we'd bake that morning, and we'd give it uh, away to our friends, and those we didn't like didn't get any. Now, um, no, I'm totally kidding. I grew up in a small church, so we just took bread for everybody. 
Uh, and this probably isn't your tradition to, to bake bread on Christmas Eve. It may not, it may not be, but I, get, I would bet that you have some tradition surrounding bread in your family. I, I would make a guess. Maybe for you, it's cinnamon rolls. Uh, maybe uh, for you, it's some sort of specialty bread or specialty cookie. Maybe for you, it's fruitcake that you use as a door stopper, right? Um, I would guess that you have some sort of tradition surrounding bread because we associate bread as a treat. Bread's almost like a dessert. It's something that, that that we crave in that way. But for most of human history, bread has represented life. Right? Bread hasn't been a treat. Bread has represented life. And you may remember a few years ago around Christmas time, we had like Snowmageddon. Right? It was absolutely a, a really, really big store, uh, storm. And if you went to Kroger, what was everybody buying? Bread and water. Right? They, they were buying both those things because we know uh, that bread represents life. So let me show you what Jesus said. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The bread that comes down from heaven and gives life was born in the house of bread. It's an important teaching, but here it is, and it's simple uh, to understand, but it's difficult to remember. Jesus leads us to life. Jesus leads us to life. And I say that it's hard to remember because there are going to be times where Jesus is teaching you or where you're reading in the scripture something that he says and what he's going to ask of you is not going to make much sense or it goes against the social norms or honestly, it's just hard. And it's important in that moment when you're reading the words of your savior to remember this. The bread that comes down from heaven was born in the house of bread. He's leading me to life. This might not make sense. This might, not, this, might not, this might go against social norms, but his example, his teaching, his spirit, they are leading me to abundant and good life. And I wonder if this is part of the reason Luke includes this in his Christmas story, to remind us that the bread of heaven came to the house of bread to give us life. We're also, in Luke, we learn uh, the when of Jesus, Right, um, the, the story of Christmas starts out with a statement of history. We, we tend to think of Christmas as a very spiritual story, but in Luke's gospel, it really starts with a statement of, this, of, of history, that in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the entire Roman world should be taxed. It's a statement of, of history, and I find it interesting because Caesar Augustus, many would say, was uh, one of the most powerful Roman emperors in, in, Roman, in Roman history. And you have to remember that Israel was under the control of Rome uh, for Jesus' life, and they were controlled by Caesar Augustus, and it wasn't the best life you could have under Caesar Augustus. The guy was a raving narcissist. And here's what I mean by that. Many leaders throughout history have believed they are descended from the gods, but Caesar Augustus believed that he was actually God from heaven. And because of that belief, uh, he ordered that all of the, the Roman-occupied countries, which was most of the world, he ordered that his birthday be celebrated for a full month leading up to the day of his birth, which was a celebration he called Advent. All right? And I want to show you what Caesar Augustus decreed. Here, here, here it is from history. The most divine Caesar we should consider equal to the beginning of all things. He is the beginning of life and vitality. All the cities unanimously adopt the birthday of the divine Caesar as the beginning of the year. He has been sent to us as a savior and has become God manifest. His birthday is for the whole world and it is the beginning of good news. He believed he was God. So he sanctions the singing of worship songs to be sung in his honor. 
He builds a temple for people to come and worship him in. He issued a decree that the, the, greeting, uh, the official greeting of Rome would be Caesar is Lord. And you were to respond, if you lived in any of the Roman occupied nations, you were to respond, he is Lord indeed. So you know what one of the first proclamations of Christmas was? We'll look at it here in just a minute, but here's what it says. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. It's hard to describe until you understand Caesar Augustus. It is hard to describe how controversial some of the first statements of Christmas were. It's hard for us to imagine. But the statement of Jesus' birth was loud and clear, and here's what it is. Caesar is not Lord. Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is. And maybe we just need to be reminded of that this holiday season, that Caesar is not Lord. He may think he's Lord. He, he may uh, organize his life to communicate that he is Lord, but Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is. So let me be more clear, right? Cancer is not Lord. Unemployment is not Lord. Family dysfunction is not Lord. They will not have their way forever. Jesus will and is demonstrating his power and his authority over them because Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. And maybe that's why Luke included this little detail of history to remind us that, I mean, Jesus' birth was such an affront to Caesar. Caesar would call himself Lord. He called himself God. And one of the very first proclamations of Christmas is, I bring you good tidings of of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. So in Luke, we get the details of also who was involved in the original story of Christmas. So we get the shepherds, Luke 2.8. And there were shepherds, shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Now, these shepherds, they were most likely very, very young boys without homes. They had been orphans, most likely. They had been forgotten, forgotten by their society. As a matter of fact, it was just kind of known that to be a shepherd in the first century was like the lowest rung of the economic ladder. There was also a spiritual stigma with it because as a shepherd, it was really impossible for you to keep some of the the purity laws uh, from the Old Testament. Just because of your job, it was almost impossible for you to keep those. So you weren't really allowed to come to the temple. You weren't really allowed uh, to, to be a part of the religious society at all. So it's no surprise that when Jesus comes, knowing Jesus' message, that the angels show up to shepherds. And here's the message. I bring you good news of great joy that's for all people. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. And I guarantee you the shepherds would have thought good news is not typically for us. And the shepherds, the, the angels say, no, this is good news of great joy for all people. Yes, shepherds, it is for you. Uh, society may have forgotten about you, but God has not. And I think it's a great message for us to remember in the details of Luke. It's a great message for us to remember this morning that this is good news of great joy and it is for everybody. 
It's for all people. Say, people that have made mistakes? Yes, it's for all people. People that feel forgotten? Yes, it's for all people. People that are down and out? Yes, it's for all people. Jesus has come to offer everybody the opportunity to be forgiven and to know God in this life and in the next. It's for everybody, anybody who wants to put their faith and their hope and their trust in Jesus. And maybe this is why, as part of the who was there, Luke includes this little detail of the shepherds to remind us this is for you. This is for everybody. It's for the shepherds. We also get the angels in Luke, that suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared to the angel, uh, with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Now, we often think of angels as these cute little babies in diapers that are carrying like a, a bow and arrow, Right? A lot of times we think angels are, are that way. But you know what the most re- common reaction to an angel is in the Bible? Fear. As a matter of fact, most of the time the angel has to say, hey, don't be afraid. Stop freaking out. Right? Don't. That's my translation. But it's do not be afraid that these are mighty, strong, a little bit scary creatures. And you know what they do in the presence of Jesus? They worship these huge, mighty, uh, at times scary creatures, when they, when they get in the presence of Jesus, they recognize his greatness, they recognize his glory, and so the angels worship. And the angels, this little detail of the Christmas story, it reminds us that this is the only response to the baby Jesus. This is the only response to the good news of Jesus. It, it is a worship response, to worship him for his goodness and his grace, to, to worship him for his kindness, to worship him uh, in, in every way possible because Jesus is worthy of that honor and and glory and praise, of all of our honor and glory and and praise. And there can be a lot of reactions people have at Christmas time. For some people, they're they're stressed. And right now, you've not even really listened to this sermon because you're like thinking of a hundred million things you got to do. Because you know, because of the announcement earlier that next Sunday is Christmas Eve and you're freaking out. Right? Because a lot of people get stressed at Christmas. Some get depressed. Some people get giddy to an uncomfortable level. But the Christmas story reminds us of the most simple reaction that you can have to the Christmas story is that of worship. That we would worship Jesus and put our faith in him. That we would sing to him, yes, because he's worthy of it. That we would follow him, yes, because he's worthy of it. That we would obey him, yes, because it's worthy of him. And all of those things are worship. And maybe that's why Luke includes the story of the angels to remind us that the right response at Christmas time is a worship response. So we get, to, right, we get tons of detail in Luke. We get all of that detail, and I think every detail gives us a new thought and a new idea to consider. But let me ask you, what is the reason, other than like just his kind of the bent of his personality, what is the reason that Luke would go into so much detail at Christmas time? And we actually don't have to wonder the answer to that question because Luke, at the very beginning of his book, tells us why he went to such painstaking lengths to include all this detail. Here's what he says at the beginning, and we'll kind of close with this idea that many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those. Uh, who were from uh, the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you might know the certainty, so that you might know the certainty of the things you have been 
top. The reason Luke goes into all the detail that he goes into is very, very simple. He wants you to be certain about Jesus. He wants you to be certain. He wants you to be certain about this idea that Jesus is leading you to life. Luke wants you to be certain of that. He wants you to know that for sure. He wants you to be certain of this idea that Jesus is worthy of our worship. He wants you to be certain about that. He wants you to be certain about who he is and what he came to do. Because Luke knows that certainty will lead you to faith. And faith will lead you to a changed life. So Luke says, I went out of my ways, out of my way to investigate all of this stuff and to write it all down. And I investigated it fully because I want you this Christmas and every Christmas after, I want you to be certain about Jesus. You know what's really interesting about the gospel of Luke? One of the interesting things about the Gospel of Luke is it was written in the neighborhood of 30 years or so after Jesus' uh, resurrection. And this is one of the ways that when they're studying ancient documents, this is one of the ways uh, they come up with the credibility of the document. It is how much time has lapsed between the, the actual events and the writing of the document, right? How much time has lapsed. And the smaller the gap, between when the events happened and when they were written down, typically in terms of history, uh, the, the more credence those documents get. Be, because when, when that lapse uh, between actual events and when they're written down, uh, what happens when that lapse is really, really small is that when, there's written down, when it's written down that quickly, there are people that could verify the stories that are still alive that could verify the stories that Luke goes into. There are people that if Luke was making it up, there are people that could refute them if they were untrue. There are people that Luke names in the story, in his gospel story, that were involved in the story, that would be still alive and could be talked to. The, in short, the claims could be investigated. So because Luke has this incredibly small gap between when the events happened and when he investigated them and when he wrote them down, we can have certainty in the credibility, in the claims of Luke and, and, and we can walk with certainty knowing that what Luke said is true. See, here's the deal. If you're making up a story, if you're just making up a story, you don't typically go into all the detail that Luke goes into. Because let me tell you what can happen. Is you call a friend and you say, hey, I was wondering if you could help me move later today. And you're like, I really don't want to help them move. I really don't want to help them move. So you make up a story. All right, let me tell you the way you don't do that. And I'm not trying to teach you how to lie here, okay? But I, I, want, to, I want to draw an illustration here. You say, well, actually, I'm busy right now. I'm at Walmart. And because here's what can happen. Your friend says, really, I just stopped at Walmart to get a few things. I'm in the store too. Where are you? And you are caught in a lie. So, so typically, right, when, when, this is just a human nature thing, that when you lie, you tend to be as vague as possible. And I'm ruining a lot of your game right now. Right? I get that. But when you're telling the truth, you just tend to go into a lot more detail because you want, you want people to be certain. And this is, this is what Luke does. He goes into all of this detail about the life, birth, life, burial, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And the reason he does that, the reason there's all this detail, he wants you to be certain. He wants to make sure you're certain, that you're certain of his grace, that you're certain of Jesus' teaching, that you're certain of his life, and that you're certain of his power. 
Luke goes into all the detail that he goes into, and it is beautiful detail, and every little piece of detail it includes a, a, little less, a little lesson for us to walk away with. You know, the angels teach us to worship, the shepherds teach us it's for everybody. Every detail includes some lessons in it, but the overarching lesson is Luke wants you to be sure. He wants you to be certain, because he knows that certainty will lead you to faith, and faith will lead you to new life. So we have a gift for you today, on your way out, in addition to the cookies. You didn't think I just bought you cookies for Christmas, did you? All right, we have a gift for you, all right? So on your way out, uh, we have one of these per, per family, and we've got a little book for you. Uh, it's, it's a real quick read, and it is called The Case for Christmas, all right? And uh, it's written by a, a modern-day um, modern investigator who, who kind of did what Luke did. And he went into great uh, effort and detail to investigate the claims of Christ. And he's written down what he's found in this book. It is a great uh, little read. And what you'll find is that attached to your book, uh, there's a little Christmas ornament um, that this is a Christmas miracle. It matches the book perfectly. It matches the ornament on the book perfectly. And I'm telling you, it is a Christmas miracle because Connie was out looking for these one day. She did not have the book in front of her. She sent me a picture and I said, I don't have the book in front of me, but it looks about right. It was perfectly right. right. And so what, yeah, you can applaud for that. All right, no. And so we want you to put this on your Christmas tree. We want you to put this on your Christmas tree this year. And every time we see this red ornament, if you're here today and you're not certain, right, you're like, I just have a lot of questions. Even after hearing the sermon and reading the book, I've got some more questions and all that. I'm just not certain. Every time you see the ornament, we want you to pray, God, would you help me to be certain? God, I, I want to be certain. Would you help me to be certain? And every time you see the ornament of the nativity, it can be a reminder uh, to, to you to pray that. If you are certain, Every time you see the ornament, it's like, man, God, I want to thank you for the details of the Christmas story. I want to thank you for making your story available to me. I want to thank you for helping me to be certain and to just thank God that, man, we can have certainty in this story. Certainty in his grace, certainty in his teaching, certainty in his resurrection, certainty in his power, certainty. And Luke went out of his way to try to help us to be able to do that. So uh, grab one of these per family on your way out, on your way through to, to do, to do uh, the, the cookies, but we've got a few more things we're gonna do before that, but I wanted to kind of set this book up for you. Um, please, uh, th- this will take just a few hours to read, uh, but Lee Strobel is one of the great investigative writers, and he goes out of his way to, to help us, just like Luke did, to be certain about this story. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. And Lord, I know um, that uh, Luke, Luke's personality was bent this way, but these are your words. That yeah, Luke wants us to be certain, but we know it's you. You want us to be certain. You want us to follow your son. You want us to find our joy, hope, and peace in him. So Lord, I just wanna pray that your spirit would begin to move in this room. And whatever doubts are, are lingering, um, that, that you would just uh, fill our hearts and our minds with faith right now and that we would leave this room, seeing all the details and all the evidence, we would let leave this room just feeling sure, feeling certain that Jesus was who he said he was, and he can do what he says he can do. We thank you again for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Will you stand? We're going to sing a song of invitation, and uh, I'd love to, to pray with you uh, this morning. Uh, as we're singing this song, if you um, are kind of having a reaction of, man, I, 
I want to be more certain. I, I wish I, uh, I, wish I, I had more faith. I, I wish I could be more certain. We'd love to pray with you about that. We'd love to begin talking to you about that. Um, and uh, if you're here today and this whole Christmas thing is just frazzling to you and you're stressed, we'd love to pray with you about that as well as we sing this song.